And now, from the gleaming spires of Chicago, broadcasting across the multiverse, from the heights of Hlidskjalf to the depths of Niflheim, from the MCU to the DCU, from the slopes of Mount Olympus and beyond, you are tuned to the immortal sounds of Radio Free Asgard. You are tuned to Radio Free Asgard, episode number 297. The Children of Loki Loki was handsome and he knew it. People wanted to like him, they wanted to believe him, but he was undependable and self-centered at best, mischievous or evil at worst. He married a woman named Sigyn, who had been happy and beautiful when Loki courted and married her, but now always looked like she was expecting bad news. She bore him a son, Narfi, and shortly afterward another son, Vali. Sometimes Loki would vanish for long periods and not return, and then Sigyn would look like she was expecting the very worst news of all. But always Loki would come back to her, looking shifty and guilty and also as if he were very proud of himself indeed. Three times he went away, Three times he eventually returned. The third time Loki returned to Asgard, Odin called Loki to him. I have dreamed a dream, said the wise old one-eyed god. You have children. I have a son, Narfi, a good boy, though I must confess that he does not always listen to his father. And another son, Vali, obedient and restrained. Not them. You have three other children, Loki. You have been sneaking off to spend your days and your nights in the land of the Frost Giants with Angerboda, the giantess, and she has borne you three children. I have seen them in the eye of my mind as I sleep, and my visions tell me that they will become the greatest foes of the gods in the time that is to come. Loki said nothing. He tried to look ashamed and succeeded simply in looking pleased with himself. Odin called the gods to him, with Tyr and Thor at their head, and he told them that they would be journeying far into Jotunheim, to Giantland, to bring Loki's children to Asgard. The gods traveled into the land of the giants, battling many dangers until they reached Angerboda's keep. She was not expecting them, and she had left her children playing together in her great hall. The gods were shocked when they saw what Loki and Angerboda's children were, but that did not deter them. They seized the children, and they bound them, and they carried the oldest between them, tied to the stripped trunk of a pine tree, and they muzzled the second child with a muzzle made from knotted willow, and they put a rope around its neck as a leash, while the third child walked beside them, gloomy and disturbing. Those on the right of the third child saw a beautiful young girl, while those on the left tried not to look at her, for they saw a dead girl, her skin and flesh rotten black, walking in their midst. "'Have you noticed something?' Thor asked Tyr on the third day of their journey back through the land of the Frost Giants. They had camped for the night in a small clearing, and Tyr was scratching the furry neck of Loki's second child with his huge right hand. "'What?' "'They're not following us, the giants. Not even the creature's mother has come after us. 
It's as if they want us to take Loki's children out of Jotunheim. That is foolish talk, said Tyr, but as he said it, even though the fire was warm, he shivered. Two more days of hard traveling, and they were in Odin's hall. These are the children of Loki, said Tyr shortly. The first of Loki's children was tied to a pine tree, and was now longer than the pine tree it was tied to. It was called Jormungund, and it was a serpent. It has grown many feet in the days we have carried it back, said Tyr. Thor said, Careful, it can spit burning black venom. It spat its poison at me, but it missed. That's why we tied its head to the tree like that. It is a child, said Odin. It is still growing. We will send it to where it can harm nobody. Odin took the serpent to the shore of the sea that lies beyond all lands, the sea that circles Midgard, and there on the shore he freed Jormungund and watched it slither and slip beneath the waves and swim away in loops and curls. Odin watched it with his one eye until it was lost on the horizon, and he wondered if he had done the right thing. He did not know. He had done as his dreams had told him, but dreams know more than they reveal, even to the wisest of the gods. The serpent would grow beneath the gray waters of the world ocean, grow until it encircled the earth. Folk would call Jormungund the Midgard Serpent. Odin returned to the great hall, and he ordered Loki's daughter to step forward. He stared at the girl. On the right side of her face, her cheek was pink and white. Her eye was the green of Loki's eyes. Her lips were full and carmine. On the left side of her face, the skin was blotched and striated, swollen in the bruises of death. Her sightless eye rotted and pale. Her lipless mouth wizened and stretched over skull-brown teeth. What do they call you, girl? asked the Allfather. They call me Hell, she said, if it pleases you, Allfather. You are a polite child, said Odin. I'll give you that. Hell said nothing, only looked at him with her single green eye, sharp as an ice chip, and her pallid eye, dull and spoiled and dead, and he saw no fear in her. Are you alive? he asked the girl, or are you a corpse? I am only myself, Hel, daughter of Angerboda and of Loki, she said, and I like the dead best of all. They are simple things, and they talk to me with respect. The living look at me with revulsion. Odin contemplated the girl, and he remembered his dreams. Then Odin said, This child will be the ruler of the deepest of the dark places, and ruler of the dead for all the nine worlds. She will be the queen of those poor souls who die in unworthy ways, of disease or of old age, of accidents or in childbirth. Warriors who die in battle will always come to us here in Valhalla, but the dead who die in other ways will be her folk to attend her in her darkness. For the first time since she had been taken from her mother, the girl Hel smiled with half a mouth. Odin took Hel down to the lightless world, and he showed her the immense hall in which she would receive her subjects, and watched as she named her possessions. I will call my bull hunger, said Hel. She picked up a knife. This is called famine, and my bed is called sickbed. That was two of Loki's children with Angerboda dealt with then. 
one in the ocean, one to the darkness beneath the earth. But what to do with the third? When they had brought the third and smallest of Loki's children back from the land of the giants, it had been puppy-sized, and Tyr had scratched its neck and its head and played with it, removing its willow muzzle first. It was a wolf cub, gray and black, with eyes the color of dark amber. The wolf cub ate its meat raw, but it spoke as a man would speak, in the language of men and the gods, and it was proud. The little beast was called Fenrir. It too was growing fast. One day it was the size of a wolf, the next the size of a cave bear, than the size of a great elk. The gods were intimidated by it, all except Tyr. He still played with it and romped with it, and he alone fed the wolf its meat each day. And each day the beast ate more than the day before, and each day it grew and it became fiercer and stronger. Odin watched the wolf child grow with foreboding. For in his dreams the wolf had been there at the end of everything. The last things Odin had seen in any of his dreams of the future were the topaz eyes and the sharp white teeth of Fenris Wolf. The gods had a council and resolved at that council that they would bind Fenrir. They crafted heavy chains and shackles in the forges of the gods, and they carried the shackles to Fenrir. Here, said the gods, as if suggesting a new game, you've grown so fast, Fenrir, it's time to test your strength. We have here the heaviest chains and shackles. Do you think you can break them? I think I can, said Fenris Wolf. Bind me. The gods wrapped the huge chains around Fenrir and shackled his paws. He waited motionless while they did this. The gods smiled at each other as they chained the enormous wolf. Now, shouted Thor. Fenrir strained and stretched the muscles of his legs, and the chains snapped like dry twigs. The great wolf howled to the moon, a howl of triumph and joy. I broke your chains, he said. Do not forget this. We will not forget, said the gods. The next day Tyr went to take the wolf his meat. I broke the fetters, said Fenrir. I broke them easily. You did, said Tyr. Do you think they'll test me again? I grow and I grow stronger with every day. They will test you again. I would wager my right hand on it, said Tyr. The wolf was still growing, and the gods were in the smithies forging a new set of chains. Each link in the chains was too heavy for a normal man to lift. The metal of the chains was the strongest metal that the gods could find, iron from the earth mixed with iron that had fallen from the sky. They called these chains Dromi. The gods hauled the chains to where Fenrir slept, The wolf opened his eyes. Again, he said. If you can escape from these chains, said the gods, then your renown and your strength will be known to all the worlds. Glory will be yours. If chains like this cannot hold you, then your strength will be greater than any of the gods or the giants. Fenrir nodded at this and looked at the chains called Dromi. Bigger than any chains had ever been, "'stronger than the strongest of bonds.' "'There is no glory without danger,' said the wolf after some moments. "'I believe I can break these bindings. Chain me up.' They chained him. The great wolf stretched and strained, but the chains held. The gods looked at each other, and there was the beginning of triumph in their eyes. 
But now the huge wolf began to twist and to writhe, to kick out his legs and strain in every muscle and every sinew. His eyes flashed and his teeth flashed and his jaws foamed. He growled as he writhed. He struggled with all of his might. The gods moved back involuntarily, and it was good that they did so, for the chains fractured and then broke with such violence that the pieces were thrown far into the air. And for years to come, the gods would find lumps of shattered shackles embedded in the sides of huge trees or the side of a mountain. Yes! shouted Fenrir, and howled in his victory like a wolf and like a man. The gods who had watched the struggle did not seem, the wolf observed, to delight in his victory, not even tear. Fenrir, Loki's child, brooded on this and on other matters, and Fenris' wolf grew huger and hungrier with each day that passed. Odin brooded, and he pondered, and he thought. All the wisdom of Mimir's well was his, and the wisdom he had gained from hanging from the world tree, a sacrifice to himself. At last he called the white elf Skirnir, Fry's messenger, to his side, and he described the chain called Gleipnir. Skirnir rode his horse across the Rainbow Bridge to Svartalfheim with instructions to the dwarves for how to create a chain unlike anything ever made before. The dwarves listened to Skirnir describe the commission, and they shivered, and they named their price. Skirnir agreed, as he had been instructed to do by Odin, although the dwarves' price was high. The dwarves gathered the ingredients they would need to make Gleipnir. These were the six things the dwarves gathered. For firstly, the footsteps of a cat. For secondly, the beard of a woman. For thirdly, the roots of a mountain. For fourthly, the sinews of a bear. For fifthly, the breath of a fish. For sixth, and lastly, the spittle of a bird. Each of these things was used to make Gleipnir. You say you have not seen these things? Of course you have not. The dwarves used them in their crafting. When the dwarves had finished their crafting, they gave Skirnir a wooden box. Inside the box was something that looked like a long silken ribbon, smooth and soft to the touch. It was almost transparent and weighed next to nothing. Skirnir rode back to Asgard with his box at his side. He arrived late in the evening after the sun had set. He showed the gods what he had brought back from the workshop of the dwarves, and they were amazed to see it. The dwarves went together to the shores of the Black Lake, and they called Fenrir by name. He came at a run, as a dog will come when it is called, and the gods marveled to see how big he was and how powerful. "'What's happening?' asked the wolf. "'We have obtained the strongest bond of all,' they told him. "'Not even you will be able to break it.' The wolf puffed himself up. "'I can burst any chains,' he told them proudly." Odin opened his hand to display Gleipnir. It shimmered in the moonlight. That, said the wolf, that is nothing. The gods pulled on it to show him how strong it was. We cannot break it, they told him. The wolf squinted at the silken band that they held between them, glimmering like a snail's trail or the moonlight on the waves. He turned away uninterested. No, he said, bring me real chains, real fetters, heavy ones, huge ones, and let me show my strength. 
This is Gleipnir, said Odin. It is stronger than any chains or fetters. Are you scared, Fenrir? Scared? Not at all. But what happens if I break a thin ribbon like that? Do you think I will get renown and fame? The people will gather together and say, Do you know how strong and powerful Fenris Wolf is? He is so powerful he broke a silken ribbon. There will be no glory for me in breaking Gleipnir. You are scared, said Odin. The great beast sniffed the air. I sent treachery and trickery, said the wolf, his amber eyes flashing in the moonlight. And although I think your Gleipnir may only be a ribbon, I will not consent to be tied up by it. You? You who broke the strongest, biggest chains that ever were? You are scared by this band, said Thor. I'm scared of nothing, growled the wolf. I think it is rather that you little creatures are scared of me. Odin scratched his bearded chin. You are not stupid, Fenrir. There is no treachery here. But I understand your reluctance. It would take a brave warrior to consent to be tied up with bonds he could not break. I assure you as the father of the gods that if you cannot break a band like this, a veritable silken ribbon as you say, then we gods will have no reason to be afraid of you, and we will set you free and let you go on your own way. A long growl from the wolf. You lie, Allfather. You lie in a way that some folk breathe. If you were to tie me up in bonds I could not escape from, then I do not believe you would free me. I think that you would leave me here. I think you plan to abandon me and to betray me. I do not consent to have that ribbon placed on me. Fine words and brave words, said Odin. Words to convey your fear. Words to cover your fear at being proved a coward, Fenris Wolf. You were afraid to be tied with a silken ribbon. No need for more explanations. The wolf's tongue lolled from his mouth, and he laughed at them, showing sharp teeth, each the size of a man's arm. Rather than question my courage, I challenge you to prove that there is no treachery planned. You can tie me up if one of you will place his hand in my mouth. I will gently close my teeth upon it, but I will not bite down. If there is no treachery afoot, I will open my mouth when I have escaped the ribbon, or when you have freed me, and his hand will be unharmed. There. I swear, if you have a hand in my mouth, you can tie me with your ribbon. So whose hand will it be? The gods looked at each other. Baldr looked at Thor. Heimdall looked at Odin. Honir looked at Fry, but none of them made a move. Then Tyr, Odin's son, sighed and stepped forward and raised his right hand. I will put my hand in your mouth, Fenrir, said Tyr. Fenrir lay on his side, and Tyr put his right hand into Fenrir's mouth, just as he had done when Fenrir was a puppy and they had played together. Fenrir closed his teeth gently until they held Tyr's hand at the wrist without breaking the skin, and he closed his eyes. The gods bound him with Gleipnir. A shimmering snail's trail wrapped the enormous wolf, tying his legs, rendering him immobile. There, said Odin. Now, Fenris Wolf, break your bonds. 
Show us all how powerful you are. The wolf stretched and struggled. It pushed and strained every nerve and muscle to snap the ribbon that bound it, but with every struggle the task seemed harder, and with every strain the glimmering ribbon became stronger. At first the gods snickered. Then the gods chuckled. Finally, when they were certain that the beast had been immobilized and that they were in no danger, the gods laughed. Only Tyr was silent. He did not laugh. He could feel the sharpness of Fenris Wolf's teeth against his wrist, the wetness and warmth of Fenris Wolf's tongue against his palm and his fingers. Fenrir stopped struggling. He lay there unmoving. If the gods were going to free him, they would do it now. But the gods only laughed the harder. Thor's booming guffaws, each louder than a thunderclap, mingled with Odin's dry laughter, with Baldur's bell-like laughter. Fenrir looked at Tyr. Tyr looked at him bravely. Then Tyr closed his eyes and nodded. Do it, he whispered. Fenrir bit down on Tyr's wrist. Tyr made no sound. He simply wrapped his left hand around the stump of his right and squeezed it as hard as he could to slow the spurt of blood to an ooze. Fenrir watched the gods take one end of Gleipnir and thread it through a stone as big as a mountain and fasten it under the ground. Then he watched as they took another rock and used it to hammer the stone deeper into the ground than the deepest ocean. Treacherous Odin, called the wolf. If you had not lied to me, I would have been a friend of the gods. Your fear has betrayed you. I will kill you, father of the gods. I will wait until the end of all things, and I will eat the sun, and I will eat the moon, but I will take the most pleasure in killing you. The gods were careful not to get within reach of Fenrir's jaws, but as they were driving the rock deeper, Fenrir twisted and snapped at them. The god nearest him, with presence of mind, thrust his sword into the roof of Fenris' wolf's mouth. The hilt of the sword jammed in the wolf's lower jaw, wedging the jaw open and preventing it from ever closing. The wolf growled inarticulately, and saliva poured from its mouth, forming a river. If you did not know it was a wolf, you might have thought it was a small mountain with a river flowing from a cave mouth. The gods left that place where the river of saliva flowed down into a dark lake, and they did not speak. Once they were far enough away, they laughed some more and clapped each other on the back and smiled the huge smiles of those who believe they have done something very clever indeed. Tyr did not smile, and he did not laugh. He bound the stump of his wrist tightly with a cloth, and he walked beside the gods back to Asgard, and he kept his own counsel. These, then, were the children of Loki. Okay, that is The Children of Loki. This according to Neil Gaiman in his book, The Norse Mythology. And we do have things to say about it, of course. So what Gaiman has done here is he's kind of cobbled together what is a slightly more coherent version of the story of Loki's children that we had in the Crossley Holland book. And in this, he incorporates Skirnir's journey. He incorporates some other stuff and and has kind of cobbled together something that's neither faithful to the uh, the Norse myths, you know, at least to the to the letter of them, 
certainly that he keeps to the spirit of it, but but not necessarily to the letter of it, and has added his own touches as well. I don't begrudge Gaiman the you know, the fact that he likes to do that. It does make some of the drier parts of the mythology come alive a little bit, but there is this point where I start to take exception to change for the sake of change. Now, you all are going to hear a lot more about that next week, and that's because next week is going to be our long-awaited Thor Ragnarok show. Uh, once again, folks, I'm sorry you know, I had to go to Florida, and that kind of threw everything off. So it is next week. So if you want to get your thoughts in on Thor Ragnarok, then please do so. You can email your uh, your thoughts to uh, radiofreeasgard at gmail.com or you can send me a voice clip or you know some kind of uh, you know any way facebook message email whatever and i'll be happy to to share it with other people on the show very uh, very big thanks to those of you who i've talked to about it and and i will be uh, presenting some of your opinions uh, next week but of course you know we're always happy to hear from more people now that I've got kind of gotten off of that uh, little uh, that tirade, um, yeah, the, there are some changes that were made here for no apparent reason. One of them was making Hella, you know, dead on the the left side, or I think it was the left side that's dead and the right side that that's beautiful. Um, that actually goes against what the Norsemen have previously established. I get kind of why a gayman would do that because it's something that would be more visually striking as a comic book story or in a movie or something. But according to the original mythology, it was her lower half that was dead and the upper half that was alive. Now, the difference with that is it doesn't make for a great visual. Normally, you wear clothing and underneath your clothing, you can't tell you're a corpse. So, you know, I, I kind of get it. But at the same time, change for change's sake and I'm looking at you, Marvel Studios, is not always a good thing. And we'll be talking, like I said, a lot more about that next week when we talk about Thor Ragnarok. All right, so uh, that's it for this week. Once again, folks, thanks very much for listening. We really do appreciate it. And of course, please feel free to give us your opinions and you know, what you thought of Thor Ragnarok. Uh, you, know, you can email that to us. You can give it to us on Facebook, anything really. And next week, we are going to give a spoilerific review of Thor Ragnarok. And we're also going to talk a bit about Justice League because a lot of what I found fault with in... Thor Ragnarok is also true of Justice League. And we're going to talk about a bit about, uh, you know, about that kind of thing. All right, and with that, we're going to wrap it up. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you next time here on Radio Free Asgard. Radio Free Asgard is copyright Tom Harris USA Productions, which is totally responsible for its content. The characters, stories, and situations presented on this program are copyright their respective copyright holders and are presented for entertainment, review, and educational purposes only. No ownership is implied. We make no money from this podcast and the contents are believed to be covered under fair use. If you like what you've heard on today's program, we'd appreciate it if you leave us an iTunes review, send us an email with your feedback, tell your friends, if you have any, or annoy your coworkers with our incoherent ramblings and silly voices. Thanks once again for listening to Radio Free Asgard. <laughs>